helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Are you enjoying the high fuel prices and everything that comes with it? Are you looking forward to being forced to buy only electric vehicles in the next few years? What about the rolling blackouts or our don't charge your electric vehicle orders? Have you considered the foreign policy ramifications of this slavish devotion to quote-unquote climate change? You know what? It is all based on a lie. That's right. Your life is being ruined so that certain people can get rich and some others can assume power. But when you ask for evidence for their hyperbolic rhetoric, at least the ones that are used to ruin American lives, all you get is thinly veiled talking points, if anything at all. Hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. I'm glad you could join me today. You know, part of being free is actually learning to think for yourself, to, to question the information that you're given, especially when it comes from those in government. And by spending decades listening to people that have provided no reasonable data, no scientifically based data. I mean, when when you you see these journals that um, that promote uh, uh, the the climate change models from people who are not climatologists and then ignore any contradictory information, well, that's where you end up with the swindle, right? That's that's part of the swindle. You you want to show people what you want them to see, and you want to avoid them seeing what you don't want them to see, and that's pretty much. Uh, how this has come apart and or come about. And if you look at what's being done, if you look at the impacts, maybe you'll, like me, say, maybe this is not the right way to go. For example, there's a new energy affordability report from the American Legislative Exchange Council. And th this report found a couple of interesting things. The, the, the substantive claim, though, from the report says, when the government inserts itself into the energy markets, taxpayers foot the bill. They go on to say that inefficient government mandates driven by political interests often pick winners and losers in individual energy markets, causing at best skyrocketing costs through poor investments. Now, how do they come to this? Well, they examine uh, the different states for things like... Um, Renewable Portfolio Standards, which is a, a state mandate as to how much of the state's electrical generation must come from quote-unquote renewable sources. Um, they also looked at regional greenhouse gas initiatives, which are um, generally multi-state agreements to uh, control the, uh, the expenditure of carbon dioxide. And uh, lastly, they took a look at uh, whether or not um, the state had mandates for utility companies re regarding uh, uh, the purchase back of electricity from consumer solar panels. And they crunched all this together, and then they looked at the states with different energy prices. Now, interesting to note, the states with the lowest energy prices are Louisiana, Oklahoma, Iowa, Wyoming, and Utah. While the states with the highest energy prices are uh, Hawaii, Alaska, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Maine. 
Now, Hawaii and Alaska are kind of special situations, right? Because they're remote. You, you can't exactly, you know, run a power line from Alaska to Cal, or sorry, from Hawaii to California, or even from Alaska to California to join them to a grid where they can purchase um, uh, uh, electricity on more open market. So these those two states are outliers, and I and I don't really want to focus on them. But when they look at the rest. They say the, the, that the states with the highest prices are generally due to these, um, these different programs, the, uh, uh, the renewable um, power initiatives and the renew, I'm sorry, renewable portfolio standards and the uh, regional greenhouse gas initiatives. Both of those drive the price up. Now, in the states with the lowest prices, it's roughly about $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour. While within the contiguous United States, the the or with the highest, I should say, the highest states are as much as twenty cents per kilowatt hour. But again, according to the report, the primary driver of this is state regulation. Now, for a couple of reasons, as I say, they're picking winners and losers. They're saying, listen, it's not a question of what impact you have, uh, simply an impact of, of what you have on the environment. And and understand, yes. Climate changes. I will stipulate that climate changes. But what I find absolutely insane is we look at the um, at this push. We have to have these because we've all been scared to death by greenhouse gases, or specifically, primarily carbon dioxide. But without carbon dioxide, none of us live. I mean, it truly is that simple. But yet, how much are, are you know, we, we talk about California recently mandating um, and several states following along that uh, within the next few years, you will only be able to buy new electric vehicles, not gasoline-powered vehicles. Uh, we see different groups trying to outlaw gasoline-powered yard tools like lawnmowers and, and, and uh, 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 chainsaws. And we, we look at this, this crazy, we have to do something, we have to do something, but we never stop to say, why? Is it really, is, is what we're doing better than what happens if we do nothing or if we do something different? I mean, let's face it, we're looking at uh, in different levels of an energy crisis. Here in the United States, it's mostly about cost. In Europe, they're talking about whether or not they're going to have heat. But in many cases, the root cause of this are the climate policies that these that these states and these countries have put in place. You know, look at how much of Europe uh, um, was saying we have to do renewable. They they were so proud of being so far ahead in renewal, renewable energy, and now they're doing everything they ha- they can to get their hands on fossil fuels, to get their hands on on natural gas, or to to relight uh, uh, to start back up nuclear and uh, um, and and coal plants. And speaking of nuclear, you know the the it, we have this bugaboo about nuclear. Uh, part of it is the type of nuclear plants that we've been making over the last uh, couple of generations, ignoring again ig- ignoring scientific discoveries to the benefit of government. What I I truly believe one of the reasons we use uranium uh, enriched uranium fuel is it is a way to generate the plutonium and other chemicals that they use 
that our government uses in nuclear bombs. At least that's what I learned. Is that's what I, that's what researchers have told me about the early stages of our nuclear programs. But again, we we, we look at all of this, and now when there's a slight hiccup in energy, well, all right, there's a big hiccup hiccup in energy, and everybody points to. Um, Everybody points to Russia. Oh, look at Russia. They're playing games with the gas lines and, and the, their, their oil. And yeah, and in many ways, that's what Europe decided. They decided to trust that Russia would not use their energy as a political lever. Surprise! But also look at what's happening here in America. Just just look at the at the Biden administration. First of all, the very idea that that one man, the chief executive, gets to set our energy policy is stupid. It's insane. It's unconstitutional. But putting that aside, here we have a situation where gas prices are skyrocketing or have skyrocketed. They've come back down. Now they're saying they're going they're going to go back up for a while. And you know, bad enough that uh, this president was willing to release uh, oil out of the strategic reserve. Now remember, the strategic reserve is there for a disaster, for a war, for an emergency. Hence, strategic reserve. He's using it to make political points. But that's nothing new. Presidents have done that all along. But at the very same time, this president is begging other countries like Saudi Arabia and Venezuela to sell us oil. He is refusing to allow American businesses to drill oil on our own land. At the same time, he complains about the lack of resources and, and, and you know, telling gas station owners, just lower the price. We don't care about the cost for you. Just lower the price. He, he, one of his first acts as president was to shut down a key pipeline that would have allowed for the greater refining capacity we need to help keep these gasoline prices down. You see the point that, I, that I'm trying to make? See, we've been told for decades that within 10 years, we're all dead. In the 70s, when I was in school, we were all told we were going to freeze to death. We'd never get to the year 2000. Here we are in 2022, and now we're complaining it's too hot. But again, compared to what? See, the part of the problem is when you make a decision without all the facts or with only one side of the facts, you end up making really bad decisions. And when we... Uh, when we take that that power and we give it to bureaucrats who are primarily interested in their own self-aggrandizement, their own power, why are we surprised when they choose what gives them power over what's best for the country? Now, another part of the problem is because we turned everything over to experts, uh, because we simply let other people figure it out for us, um, the message gets skewed. So anybody that comes up with a, a climate message that contradicts the uh, accepted narrative, well, they get poo-pooed. Uh, take, for example, uh, let's say I think it's Nicola Scafetta. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. And, and he, issued, he submitted a paper that was in the Journal of Climate Dynamics talking about the climate's long-range sensitivity to carbon dioxide. How much does carbon dioxide actually impact the climate? Now, needless to say, uh, certain scientists uh, said his paper was hilarious on social media. Journalists contradicted speculations, but here's what's interesting. So you have to remember, all of these predictions are based on models. So what uh, this scientist is, this, this uh, Mr. Scafetta did, 
Uh, he, by the way, he's an associate professor in the Department of Earth Sciences and uh, Environment and Geo Resources at the University of Naples. So this is an Italian uh, uh, man doing this work. And he's looking to see just how sensitive the climate is to carbon dioxide. So he does. He took 38 models since that took data from the 1980s to see how accurately they predicted what actually happened. Right? This is called, ladies and gentlemen, science. Right? You have a hypothesis. Cli you know, carbon dioxide has a tremendous impact on the climate. You test it. Well, it takes decades to do something like that. So he looked back uh, over 40 years of data. And then you modify your hypothesis based on the outcome. Now, he took a look at how well these uh, uh, models compared with the actual temperature data, not just service data, but satellite-based instrumentation as well. And you know what he found? Well, at least based on the, on the satellite data, he found that... Um, the temperature increase since 1980 was 0.13 degrees Celsius, which is less than any of the other data. It's, it's less than any of the models predicted. Well, not any of the models. The models that tend to be used to scare the pants off of us. See, the, the models that have a middle to high sensitivity to carbon dioxide, uh, they have been overstating the warming for decades. Those that include a low impact, where the amount of carbon dioxide has a small impact, well, they were a lot more consistent with not just satellite data, but the service data. And uh, uh, so I, it makes you wonder, if we're making all of these drastic decisions, uh, again, shutting down power plants, transferring, you know, trying to, to develop brand new sources of energy, doing all of this stuff based on models that were wrong. I mean, seriously wrong. Remember, Al Gore said that was it by two thousand? But you know, was it by, was it by two thousand? Um, you know, New York City would be underwater. Uh, you know, hasn't happened. You see, that's the biggest problem. That's why I call it a swindle. It's not that. Um, uh, uh, well, I believe there are people that are using this to their own personal gain, but the information is wrong. The information that we've been told, the predictions that have been made, have been so grossly wrong. Yet we still follow them. I believe it was Albert Einstein that said, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome, is the definition of insanity. Well, I guess then the world's gone crazy. Because even though these models have been proven wrong over and over again, we keep following them. And we keep suffering the consequences, and we're told, well, we have to because, well, climate change. But again, climate change doesn't seem to be as big a deal as the, 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 the fear mongers are telling us. New York City's not underwater. The, the, the seas haven't risen. Um, the temperature's not broiled us. And in fact, interestingly enough, greenhouses pump in CO2 to help the plants grow because plants have a, a negative impact on, on the use of, you know, of CO2. Right? You give them more CO2, they grow faster. They pull CO2 out of the air. And, oh, yeah, a certain amount of warming actually leads to more crop growth, which means more food to feed the people on the earth. But we don't seem to consider that. So as I look at this and, and we're seeing what's going on, I want to take, you know, I want to continue to look at the longer term impacts, not simply the, the, uh, the most obvious, you know, push to electric cars. But what are the longer term impacts of 
this type of environmental insanity. But I have to take a break. So before I do, I want you to check out, please, Healthy Cell. They are a leading innovator in supplements for health at the cellular level. They have a lot of different products, and they've really reinvented the vitamin. They, they use a lot of gel packs, which are easy to use, travel-ready. What I love is the Immune Super Boost, especially when I'm traveling, especially when, when I have a greater chance of getting sick. It supports the immune system while you're on the go with more than a dozen immune supplements in one travel-ready gel pack. It's easy to travel, easy to use. As an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order at Healthy Cell. Just go to HealthyCell.com and use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. That's right. Put anything you want in your cart at HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD at checkout, and you'll get 25% off your first order. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. I'm glad you're here today because today we're looking at the climate swindle. Not simply on the climate science itself, but how it's being used to destroy our future, destroy our liberty, pretty much make life miserable. 
I talked in the beginning about uh, uh, the, the, the fact that well, the data just isn't there, that so much of the, the climate science doesn't support what we're being told. You know, the reports that uh, every time government gets into the market, it makes things worse because of onerous regulations, by picking winners and losers, by stifling the uh, inventiveness and, and uh, the opportunities to try other methods of, of uh, solving the problem. By limiting the data, by focusing on, on data that's been shown, you know, models that, that just haven't been right. They haven't been right since the 1970s. For 50 years, I've been listening to climate change. From the next ice age to global warming to the current you know, climate hysteria. And none of the data has ever turned out to be right. Now, before I went into the break, I talked about a, 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 an Italian scientist that uh, looked at the... Uh, looked at the data, looked back over the last 40 years and said, do these models work? How, just how much of an impact is CO2 on the, uh, uh, on the environment? And what he found was it's relatively little, which again, kind of makes sense when you realize that you know, carbon dioxide is plant food. But you see, he's not alone. Yes, his, his work was being poo-pooed by the, well, by the people who have a vested interest in it not being true. But there's actually a team of Italian scientists now that have published a study that concludes uh, there is no climate crisis yet. Their, their exact words were the climate, the, the climate crisis that, according to many sources we are experiencing today, is not evident yet. And, and to me, I, I like the way they put it as yet. Because... Uh, it, it takes into account things may change. But their uh, declaration that there is no climate emergency has been signed by over 1,100 scientists in by June of this year. Uh, compare that with you know Joe Biden claiming it's a climate emergency. We have to we have to throw out the rules. We have to throw out the law. Throw out the Constitution because it's a climate emergency and we have to do something. Yeah, well, when you have to do something and you don't bother to find out that something is makes things better or worse, you tend to shoot yourself in the foot. You know, it, the, the four scientists that came up with this declaration, they're not climate deniers. They believe that man's emissions indeed contribute to climate change. They just feel that it's that it's not uh, to the point of an emergency. It certainly is counterproductive to frighten children with hysterical pronouncements of climate doom. I would extend that to say it's wrong to frighten adults with these hysterical pronouncements. But here we are in a new energy crisis. I lived through the energy crisis in the 1970s. Granted, as a child for the most part, uh, but I remember the gas lines. I remember, you know, who remembers odd and even uh, gas purchases, right? You could only buy gas... If you're you know, on certain days, if your license plate had an odd number ended in an odd number and a different date if it ended in an even number. Anybody remember those? How close are we getting to that? And again, we have a president of the United States who is looking for others to produce energy, ignoring the fact that the United States of America, kind of only US, sits on a sea of energy. We have vast amounts of, of oil and, and natural gas. But you see, that presents a political problem because he's already made promises to his political supporters to decrease oil. He's, he's 
which is really kind of interesting because he's more than willing to have other countries pump oil. Many of those countries without the same uh, safety standards that we have here in the United States, but he's willing to buy their oil. And then we found out that um, uh, just how much of a political game this is. See, you remember that, uh, as I said, Biden went to the Saudis and, and begging them to produce more oil. Rather than producing it at home, he wants them to produce it. And they said, um, no, they were actually going to cut production. Well, now the Saudi foreign minister has confirmed that the Biden administration is applying pressure to the OPEC states, asking them to hold off on those cuts until after the November election. Tell me this isn't all about politics. I know it's all about politics. See, if we were dealing with a, a something based in facts and science and data, we would be drilling oil. And we'd be looking for ways to make uh, the use of fossil fuels more efficient, um, less polluting. We would be looking at other sources of energy that might come along. We would be doing we wouldn't be subsidizing electric vehicles and batteries and wind and, and solar. We would be uh, the government would get out of the way and say, figure out what's best. The one who comes up with the best solution wins and makes a boatload of money. But no, instead, we have the same Biden administration that is restricting the drilling of oil on U.S. land, asking for it on foreign land in an attempt to curry political favor back here at home so that his party doesn't lose so bad in the upcoming election. And speaking of trying to buy off an election, let's go back to the Strategic Oil Reserve. Now again, the purpose of the Strategic Oil Reserve is so initially, primarily, so a mechanized army, which military, which America has, will have fuel if war breaks out. That there would be reserves of oil so that, oh, say countries like uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia and Venezuela couldn't simply cut off the taps and cripple us militarily. Now, it's also been used on occasion to deal with certain natural disasters or right, other situations, but to small extents. But Biden has used this as a, um, as a basically as a way to, to buy off the American people to not blame him and his party for the disastrous decisions they've made. See, since, as, I'm sorry, as of September 23rd, the strategic oil reserves is down to just over 400, was just now just over 422 million barrels of oil. That's the lowest since 1984. So why is a strategic oil reserve low? Well, energy prices have gone up. Now, partially because the United States government is doing everything it can to restrict the, the uh, domestic production of oil and gas. Um, they put on some shows, but for the most part, if you look at their policies, um, they don't want domestically created produce. They don't want domestically produced oil and gas. They would much rather buy it from overseas. Yet one of the main producers of oil, Russia, is currently in a war with Ukraine, and it's been using its energy. Not only has it been consuming energy at a greater rate, it's been using its energy as a political tool. But rather than saying, okay, if we need more energy, how about we open up our domestic sources? Let's put Americans to work. Let's uh, uh, develop these during this time. No, he went to go buying somewhere else. And of course, when they decided not to sell to him, 
he went to the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And of course, he made great fanfare of going to the Strategic uh, Oil Reserve uh, as, look at what we're doing, we're doing something. See, the thing is, even though he's taken almost 200 million barrels of oil out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, that's a drop in the bucket to what the American economy consumes in that time period. And at the same time that uh, Biden is warning of a potential nuclear Armageddon, he's depleting the oil reserves that would be used to fuel our military to protect us during such a situation, or that could be used to provide aid and comfort in the aftermath of such an Armageddon. In other words, at the same time he's warning about war, he's he is further crippling our ability to deal with such a war. And in large part, if not in total, as a as an answer to a political promise to pretend that uh, CO2 is killing us and that if we don't do something now, we've got a few years to live before the entire world just burns up. Even though there's been no proof of this ever. Of course, it didn't stop uh, President Biden from illegally creating an Office of Environmental Justice as part of the Department of Health and Human Services. Back in May, uh, he launched this uh, uh, office to deal with uh, what, what he, with issues like undrinkable water in Jackson, Mississippi, or air pollution in, in Los Angeles. Of course, there's problem number one, uh, not authorized by the Constitution. That is not a power delegated to the United States. But we've gone so far past that, I'm not surprised. But here we are, four months into the office, and it all but doesn't exist anymore. Uh, according to reports, there's the, the Office of Environmental Justice is down to just one employee. Why? Because it has no formal funding. And I want us to learn a lesson from this. You see, the answer to illegal offices in agencies created by a president of the United States, or any illegal action taken by the president of the United States, is simply to simply to remove the funding. Don't fund it. Don't give the beast money. But you see, part of the problem is many Americans believe we've sold part of our sovereignty to the United Nations. We haven't really, but we have politicians that act that way. And this really is dangerous. You see, a recent United Nations committee determined that uh, uh, Australia, because they have not taken action to fight climate change, have violated the rights of certain indigenous people in having nearby islands. Uh, yeah, that, that it's a human rights violation for, them, for Australia not to do what the UN thinks they should do as a matter of climate change. So, so think about it. Here you have, you know, if, as the UN says, national systems fail to take appropriate measures to protect those most vulnerable to the negative impacts of climate change, what, what, what can't they justify? Can they justify forcing these, quote-unquote, national systems to comply with their opinion? Now, again, in the United States, our treaty clause says that unless a treaty is signed by the United by the president and ratified, or, or I should, with the advice and consent of the Senate, to be specific, it doesn't mean anything. It's not law in the United States. 
But way too many politicians at all levels act as if the UN rules over us, that our, our treaty with the UN allows us to give up our sovereignty. Guess what? The only time treaties are effective is they are done within the authority of the United States. And you know what's not within the authority of the United States? Regulating environmental policy. Period. You see, the EPA does not legally exist because the legislation that created the EPA is repugnant to the Constitution, and therefore, according to the Supreme Court, it is void. It's invalid. But we've seen this before where the UN promotes things and pushes things, and then all of a sudden Americans start bending the knee to them because, well, they're told they have to. They don't. The UN comes here and starts dictating to us climate rules, climate legislation. We should poke them in the eye and say, no, you don't rule over us. We are a sovereign nation. In fact, I think it's probably about time that we tell the UN to pack up and leave because they're no longer wanted on sovereign U.S. soil since they tend to spend so much time violating the rights of others. We don't want them here. But that's, that's, a, that's a whole other thing. Just think for a minute what it means to have the United Nations claim that it is a human right to have your country conduct the UN's version of climate change remediation. To claim that uh, that uh, it's a human right to have your country limit carbon emissions. Just think about what that means for a minute. Not just from the the uh, the quote unquote environmental level. Think what it means from a, a human rights level. See, if you have a human right to force your entire nation to comply with the opinion of a UN agency that has been wrong for its entire existence, I don't mean a little wrong. I mean a lot wrong. The interpen inter uh, whatever it is, panel on climate change is a farce. It's a political uh, bureaucratic nightmare. It, has, it, it ignores science. It's manipulated science. But we want countries to be bound by these acts of, uh, of uh, scientific malpractice. That's what the UN wants. By the way, that's what the progressives want in general that's what all these these climate crazies want the people that put the, the that listen to this were never considering the rest of the story you know paul harvey's line the rest of the story really should be a touchstone for all of us we want to hear the rest of the story before we make a decision especially one as momentous as determining how we're going to produce power how we're going to live, whether or not uh, uh, we're going to allow a foreign body to dictate to us how we live our lives, we really should listen for and seek out the rest of the story. I want to get into some of the rest of the story in the, the last segment of today's show, but I want to drive this idea home. The climate swindle, this lie this exaggeration of the dangers of quote-unquote climate change are leading to 
tyranny at an international level, at a global level. You know, when some journalist or something claims that, uh, you know, climate change is the reason we're having hurricanes and, and and ignores the fact that we're having more hurricanes because of climate change. Well, we're having fewer. Well, they're bigger because of climate change. No, they're not. There's actually less cyclonic energy. When we ignore that and allow scaremongers to rule our lives, we're not free. Wasn't it FDR that said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I think that's where America sits today. The only thing we truly have to fear is fear itself and the bad decisions it is leading us, the American people, to make. I have to take another break, but I want to remind you, you know, I'm just one voice here in America out loud. There are plenty of other contributors that have some great information. It's more important than ever that you find all this news, this this information from all different sources. Take, take these the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the video. Don't just watch them. Share them. Use them to help show the rest of the story to the rest of the nation. Because if we want to live free, if we wish to enjoy the blessings of liberty, we can't sit on our backsides and wait for someone else to do it for us. We need to do the work. And part of that is sharing the rest of the story to secure the blessings of liberty, not just for you, not just for your posterity, but for everyone. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. Welcome back, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. Today, we're talking about the climate swindle and the impact it's having in our lives. And I spent time today talking about the political and foreign policy issues. Uh, I've talked a, a bit about the the impact to your life when government uh, chooses winners and losers in an energy market, when they try to enforce their will by coercing you to. Um, uh, you know, only by telling you can only buy electric vehicles after a certain point, and and really denigrating the the these carbon based these fossil fuels. But there's some other there's some other downsides you need to consider. Information they're not telling you. 
for example, I, I forget where I saw the recent study, but if you take all, uh, you know, other batteries, okay, I, I'm back up a little bit. So there's a big push for solar and wind energy, the, the, and, and there's a push for nations to be carbon free, moving 100% to these solar and, and wind. But the, again, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. So we need batteries. We need some way to store that energy when the sun does shine and the wind does blow so that we can use it when it doesn't. Now, forget we have nowhere near the capacity and in, in, we will not in the foreseeable future to deal with our current energy needs, much less our future energy needs. But they, I forget who it was, was telling me they did a story. Uh, they, they added up all of the battery capacity in the world. I don't mean just in the United States, I mean in the world. And we have enough battery capacity to power the world for, ready for this? 17 minutes. That's right. If you want a view of what an all solar and wind powered world looks like, take a look at um, well, take a look at at Northern Europe that's looking about that's concerned about freezing to death this winter, and they're still using they're trying to stockpile natural gas as fast as they can. Take a look at uh, at California, where they say, oh, don't charge your vehicles because we don't have the grid capacity, and they've got rolling blackouts. See, the problem is. Natural gas still accounts for 38% of our electricity generation. It also is the primary fuel for heating homes and businesses. Not to mention the fact there are certain businesses that need natural gas. Uh, everything from, uh, I don't know, glass manufacturing to fertilizer production. All these are based on this. So we have, and, and there's a reason why hydrocarbons are so desirable as a fuel source. Understand, first, electricity is not an energy source. It is an energy transmission. So that energy source is solar, wind, hydro. Um, the thing is, the, the density of the fuel, of, of the energy, as a matter of cost in hydrocarbons, is a lot, it's a lot denser. It's a lot easier to use. But you see, we've been we're being pushed by this idea that wind and solar can replace fossil fuels like coal, oil, and natural gas. And who knows, maybe one day they will. But that's not anywhere in the near future. Certainly not by the 2035 that California wants to, to uh, outlaw, to ban the sale of new gasoline-powered vehicles. Or by 2050 when other states are trying to do it. Or even even 2050 when, when the U.S. wants to get, you know, when, when those currently in, in control of the U.S. government want us to be 100% fossil free. It's a pipe dream. And those pipe dreams have dangerous consequences. And I've already talked about uh, the risk to life of, you know, not being able to heat your home or get electricity or transport goods and services. Yeah. But there's another side to this that we don't consider. You see, those solar panels that everybody's so excited about, the ones that are primarily made in China, in, in large part, by the way, by, by uh, mines, with material mined by, by slave labor, yet we, they have a certain life expectancy. They only last about 20, 25 years. 
And then they have to be disposed of. But you see, there's a problem. They are full of toxic waste. There's heavy metals and other toxins in these solar panels, meaning you can't simply just throw them out. And they're not easy to recycle. So what are we going to do with all the toxic waste that's being generated by solar panels? Because remember, we're dealing with, we're getting to be about 20 some odd years between, you know, since solar panels started being sold in more and more massive. I mean, we're going to have tons, millions of tons of this toxic waste that we're going to have to deal with. How are you, how many of you are old enough to remember the concern? Well, we can't use nuclear fuel, nuclear energy because, well, you have to deal with the toxic waste. Well, we're going to have to deal with the toxic waste from solar panels as well. No one's talking, very few people, I should say, are talking about that. You know, we have plenty of people that that um, want dams torn down or not to be installed because they're worried about the migration of the fish. Okay, there's a concern, and, and maybe it can be dealt with, maybe not. But what about the, the damage that windmills do to the migrating birds? Yeah, see, windmills, they have a problem. They keep rotating, and they're often in the wind, and they're in spots where birds go through, including, you know, not just the, the, the chickadees and the blue jays that seem to be so prevalent. Eagles and other large predatory birds that have a an impact on the uh, on the, uh, the, the pre- their predation helps control some of the uh, uh, some of the population, you know, animal populations. We don't talk about eagles being killed or, or other birds being killed by these by these um these wind farms we, we we people talk about you know oh you know having natural spaces we don't talk about the fact that these renewable these quote-unquote renewable energies take up vast amounts of land when compared especially compared with uh, nuclear or hydrocarbons i i was driving again through the northern plains and in parts there there are these giant wind farms i mean sectors hundreds and hundreds and thousands of acres of wind farms. And those wind farms, well, they can't be used for farming. So what happens? So we're not thinking along about the long-term uh, outcome, the long-term impact of these decisions, including more bureaucratic red tape. See, the, the Security and Exchange Commission back in March wants uh, large corporations, including, by the way, agribusinesses and food companies to start reporting greenhouse gas emissions down to the well the, the far ends of their supply chain now you may be saying well it's big businesses they can they can afford to do a little bit of reporting yeah except they are not simply supposed to report their greenhouse gas emissions again remember they want it down through the supply chain so this type of reporting means that uh, let's say uh, you're you're a food company, uh, um, and you have to find out from all of those farmers that you get your materials, you get your food from. You know the the farmer that's raising the cattle that goes into your your hamburger, to the uh, fertilizer used by the uh, person who grows your potatoes, or your lettuce, or your carrots, or who grows the wheat. And then the bakery, you know, the, the mill that mills the wheat and the bakery that bakes the buns that your hamburger sits on, all of this would have to be reported 
to these large companies so that they could report to the Security and Exchange Commissions, which I have a question. What does greenhouse gas emissions have to do with your with the, the financial stability of your company, with the securities you issue or how they're exchanged? The answer is absolutely nothing. It's just another example of how government uses this fake emergency to regulate you into oblivion. And let's not forget, in order for these large companies to gather this information from not just large farms, but even the small farms, those small farms have to generate that data, which means they have to take time and money and personnel to, to gather and report this data. Ladies and gentlemen, this, this will take this will put the, the small farm out of business. My, my wife grew up on a, on a dairy farm, and uh, uh, you know the small family farms are disappearing. We, when we moved here to Tennessee, there was a lot more farmland that's being bought off, and we're watching small farms being bought up by large corporations. And she looks at it with a little bit of with sadness because she remembers the day of the small farmer. But the small farmers being put out of business in no small part because of this bureaucratic nonsense that puts more and more red tape on an industry that has smaller and smaller profit margins. Now, what do you think these farmers do when they're faced with such an attack on their businesses? You're right. They get together and they hire lobbyists. See, the American Farm Bureau Federation and its affiliates have a, um, well, they have lobbyists. And they've met with these SEC officials and others in Washington to lobby against those. Against them. Again, this is one of those good news, bad news, right? Uh, obviously, yes, they have a right to petition their government for a redress of grievance. But in many ways, what they're looking at is saying, wait a second, we, we want the regulations, we just don't want this regulation. We don't want this much regulation. And we find, again, government becomes the master of all, and whoever has the biggest lobbyist, they win. See, uh, what, I'm, what I'm curious to see is who's pointing out that the Security and Exchange Commission may be authorized to deal with interstate commerce, but they have nothing to do with environmental protection. I, I, I'd love to see the justification for the Security and Exchange Commissions to require businesses to provide information that has nothing to do with their financial status. That's what the purpose of the Security and Exchange Commission is, at least as far as I understand it. I don't know of any legislation that's turned the, the, the SEC into the EPA. But you see, this is what happens. This is this constant drumbeat. And the worst part is, we've been so indoctrinated with the idea that we have that government must fix all of our problems, that we continue to empower government to further infringe on our rights. So let's step back and, and take a look at this. We'll try to look at this, this swindle from an objective eye. See, we have government entities that are funding studies and reports that surprisingly enough claim that we need more government entities to help stop a problem. Many of these are based on models that have been proven to be horribly inaccurate. To the point of uh, you know, false, to the point of, of almost being intentionally bad, but yet we still go to do we we still keep going back to use them. We we're watching as more and more government is using this fake climate emergency as an excuse to regulate every aspect of our lives. 
And every time that we show them that the data they're using to make this justification is false, they simply poo-poo it, call it misinformation, and trot out uh, others that, that show, yo, no, 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 this is real. Don't pay attention to the, to the data. Trust me, this is happening. We're watching as fuel prices are rising, as foreign policy is being impacted, as our, our lives as a whole are being impacted. We're watching uh, intergovernmental agencies claiming the authority to dictate to, to nations um, whether you know, that they have to follow uh, their climate policies or they'll hit them with a human rights violation. And we're watching while even at people like farmers go back to government to beg relief from the government. All of this, while these choices governments have made, ignore the costs, ignore the the uh, the cost in 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 mining, in manufacturing, uh, solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, electric vehicles. We have the government subsidizing us to push us towards an electric solution that doesn't financially make sense, doesn't environmentally make sense. In many ways, electric vehicles over their entire lifetime pollute more than they do more than a modern gasoline-based vehicle because of the the mining required to get the rare earth metals to make the parts in the car, the batteries and whatnot. And as we become more and more dependent on these technologies, what is the security impact? The impact of uh, our military being dependent on batteries from China uh, or uh, uh, rare earth minerals from either China or Chinese-controlled African nations. What's that impact like? You see, there's a reason why the framers of the Constitution gave the federal government very limited and enumerated powers that said in the Tenth Amendment, if it isn't given to the United States, specifically in the Constitution, they don't have it. And this is one of the reasons. Not specifically climate change, but the recognition that those in power tend to want to grab more power. Climate change and and the climate scare, the climate swindle, is merely the latest in a long line of examples of why it is incumbent on we the people to keep our representatives in the federal government in check to prevent them from going beyond their enumerated powers unless we specifically grant it to them in the Constitution and we establish the limits of those powers. Because this is, a, this is an out-of-control government. And this is just another example. There's a reason why environment is not a power delegated to the United States. There's a reason why regulating power generation is not a power delegated to the United States. Not because our framers thought about greenhouse gases and, and the generation of power. No, no, no. Because they recognize that when a government made up of people can assume power to themselves to regulate other people's lives, they will. And it will be to the detriment of freedom and liberty to everyone. See, when I talk about Reagan's warning that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction, in many cases, it's things like this. 
where those in government claim, we have to do something, it's an emergency, forget the rules, ignore the laws, just let us do what we know is best for you, because, well, you're obviously too stupid to decide for yourself. Because that is what leads to the tyranny and the erosion and eventual destruction of freedom and liberty. Now, please do me a favor, take this information and share it with others. Let them know 4 p.m. weekdays on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard in the iHeart Radio Network, is the Constitution Study. You can listen on our media player, our apps are Apple, Android, and Alexa. Also, these programs go to podcasts typically a day or two after they're heard on the radio. Listen to them on your favorite podcast app or on the America Out Loud apps as well. Most of all, take the links you can find on AmericaOutloud.com and share them. Share them with friends, share them with family, share them on social media. Do the work so that we can all help share the blessings of liberty to everyone in this great country. From sea to shining sea. <laughs>